six or so weeks ago about the likely overturn of Roe. But since then, I've been thinking, what would I preach? What would I preach on? What would I say? Um, And so even though I've only had a couple of days to actually prepare the sermon, um, I've been thinking about it for six or eight weeks now. Um, So hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. (laughs) I've been thinking about it a lot. So I'm going to read just a little bit of 2 Kings chapter 22. Now 2 Kings is towards the end of the kingdoms of Judah and Israel. Um, Israel at this point I believe has already uh, been taken over but Judah is still standing. And so um, this is hundreds of years after David, um, about 350 to 400 years after David. Um, and there's this boy who becomes a king, eight-year-old Josiah. And you may have heard the name Josiah before. I have a nephew named Josiah after this king. And it is just the most unlikely thing in the world what happened with Josiah. So I'm going to read for us this morning and then we'll pray for God's help. Chapter 22 of Second Kings. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Let's ask God for his help this morning. Father, we pray that... um, learning about your good King Josiah, that we would be encouraged. Um, and Father, that we would trust you to act in ways that are beyond our understanding. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Scripture is full of all kinds of weird stories, things that are unusual, odd, hard to understand, and oftentimes make no sense in a, in a just general way of how the world we think should work. So this is one of those stories. Josiah was the grandson of a man named Manasseh. Now, I don't know how much history of Israel you know, but Manasseh was the most wicked king ever in the history of all the kings of Israel and Judah, which is saying something if you know anything about the kings that came. There were a lot of very wicked kings. But here, in 2 Kings, we read a little bit about his grandfather. So, this is 2 Kings chapter 21. I'm going to read about Manasseh, the grandfather of Josiah, who died when Josiah was about six years old. So he knew him, and it would have been impressionable because he would have been a young boy, his grandpa. This is his grandpa. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. That's a long reign. Very few kings reigned that long. To give you an idea, David and Solomon both reigned 40 years. Manasseh had a longer reign than either of the first two kings. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed. 
So Hezekiah was a good king. And he erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. The host of heaven meaning the demons. Right? So the rulers that were not God. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. So he built altars in the temple. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. That would be like if we hosted a satanic church in our fellowship hall. That's what this guy did. That's how wicked he was. He didn't just host it across the street. He put it right in the temple courts. He was blasphemous to the extreme. And then here, verse 6 of chapter 21. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Now, we have not burned our sons in this country, but we have murdered them in the womb for 49 years. And then there is this later on in 2 Kings describing the rule of Manasseh. Chapter 21, verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other besides the sin that he made Judah to sin so that what he did was evil in the sight of the Lord. Just filled the kingdom with innocent blood. I don't think there's a more fitting description of what we have done in America over the last 49 years other than to fill it with blood. Base estimate, base estimate of surgical and chemical abortions performed in abortuaries like Planned Parenthood, 63 million. 49 years, 63 million. Not including all sorts of other abortifacient means that you can't track because there's no way to tell because they were done at home uh, through the means of a pill. And so, reality, we're talking hundreds of millions. Um, and if you factor in many different things that uh, our presbytery has been working on to figure these sorts of numbers out with one of the leading economists in the world, he's good with numbers, his name is Jürgen von Hagen, he's one of our presbytery pastors. He is the vice chancellor of Bonn University in Germany. He is one of the leading economists in the world. He sits and goes to things like Davos Conference. Um, this is the guy who figured these stats out. If you include all regular sorts of abortifacients, we're into the billions worldwide. Multiple billions. Like we're talking 10 to 20 billion children worldwide since 1973. It's more than double the population of the world we have murdered. We have filled the world with blood, innocent blood. So this is his grandpa. And then his grandpa, Manasseh, died. And, oops, turned the wrong page. And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah. And Amon, Amon, his son, reigned in his place. So now this is Josiah's father. 
Amon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh his father had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Amon conspired against him and put the king to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Amon, and the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Amon that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, just worldly speaking, if you knew a boy who was eight years old, whose father was a mass murderer, and whose, or his grandfather was a mass murderer, and his father was just as wicked, and he had grown up in that house, would you think, ah, oh, this guy's going to turn out just fine. This boy's going to make it. He's going to really do good things. No, worldly speaking, if a boy who is eight years old has witnessed that sort of horror in his own home, he is going to have major problems. He's going to be committed to major sin himself. That's just common knowledge. That's how the world works. That's how sin works and vice versa. That's how righteousness works. If he had grown up in a house where his grandfather was godly and his father was godly, you would expect him to be godly. And yet God does something unbelievable with this little boy, eight years old, the age of covenant, my daughter. Josiah does not walk in the way of his father and his grandfather. In the account in the Chronicles, so if you don't know, First uh, and Second Chronicles uh, are kind of a shorter version of First and Second Kings in some ways. They, they chronicle different sorts of things. Some of them are crossovers. So this is what it says about Josiah in the Chronicles, chapter Second Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the ashram and the carved and metal images. But just a few years into his reign, he was already trying to figure out how to please God. And then something happens when he's 18... And he has begun to follow after God, trying to please him in his, in his rule. And he begins to rebuild the temple. And he begins to rebuild all this stuff. And he begins to tear down all the idols. And Hilkiah, the high priest, is in the temple making repairs. And he stumbles upon a book of the law. Some portion or all of the first five books that we would call the Law of Moses. And so when that happens, Hilkiah gives him to this other man who is kind of like uh, the assistant to Josiah. He'd be like Mike Pence or the Secretary of State to our president, sort of. And this man takes the document from Hilkiah and he reads it and then he goes to the king and he says, uh, Then Saphan, this is verse 10 of 2 Kings 22, Then Saphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. 
And Shaphan, Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Immediate repentance. If you have a chance, it's a long document. I have not read it all yet. If you have a chance, read Samuel Alito's, uh, what's it called? Majority Opinion from the Courts Regarding Roe. Though he does not use these sorts of words, it is clear that Samuel Alito and the men and women who voted down row feel to the depths of them the wickedness of this ruling they feel it it's clear Uh, they would not say it like I would because they are not preachers of the word but they do everything short of calling it the most abominable thing that has ever happened in America they are very clear that this was a wicked ruling that happened in 1973 And so even though I wish for stronger language still than they gave, we should praise God. Praise God that these justices have done what they did. Now, this thing that has happened, right, just two days ago, is remarkable in almost all the same ways that Josiah's reign is remarkable. The United States has for a long time been absolutely careening off a cliff of wickedness in its rulings, and its court. Um, and then, let's see here, this has been like seven years ago, this man runs for president named Donald Trump. And if you looked at Donald Trump's background, if you just watched what he, how he grew up, what he did in his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, no one would think, boy, Donald Trump is really going to clean house. He's really, he's just an upstanding man, and he has just upheld honor and godliness his whole life. But he said he was going to do it. He said, no, I'm, I'm not that guy. I am going to clean house when I get to Washington. And then he got this guy named Mike Pence, former governor of Indiana, to run with him. But even those that voted for him could not have predicted what happened. Just a few months before he was, or just a month, I think, before he was elected, Samuel Alito died. Or not Samuel Alito, Antonin Scalia died. Now, Antonin Scalia probably would have sided with this overturn. And Scalia, Antonin Scalia was a scathing Supreme Court justice who would write dissents and majority opinions that were just biting in their criticism. It was great to read. It's funny to read. He, he had the funniest wit. And so when Antonin Scalia died, I thought, well, this is not good for the Supreme Court. This is, this is a bad deal. And then somehow, through God's unbelievable providence, they didn't get anyone appointed. And then basically, as President Trump's first act, he replaces Antonin Scalia with another conservative justice instead of getting another liberal one. 
That's miracle number one. That's miracle number one. We, a lot of us knew, and this is to my shame, I did not vote for President Trump in 2016. I absolutely voted for him in 2020. I didn't trust President Trump to keep his word in 2016. I thought he would flip and go back with the Clintons that he hung out with in the 90s. That's what I thought he would do to us. I didn't trust the man, and that is to my shame, because he did what he said. And he appointed hundreds of justices to many different courts, but no one thought he would get Supreme Court appointments because no one was on the list to be done, really. And then Anthony Kennedy retired midway through the term. He was a swing vote, like John Roberts, back and forth and back and forth. No hope for this guy to side with overturning Roe. Anthony Kennedy would have voted against this 100 times out of 100. And he retires. And Supreme Court Justice number two comes from the hand of President Trump. And then, months, the 11th hour, this final justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who absolutely would not have voted in favor of this, who was adamant in her propulsion of abortion onto America, dies. And somehow, God arranges it that within about a month and a half, I think, a third Supreme Court justice is appointed by the hands of Donald Trump. And now, with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the appointing of Amy Coney Barrett, confirming of her... We have this conservative majority in the United States Supreme Court. Even those who voted for Trump could have never called that. You, you couldn't predict that. That is unpredictable. The death, retirement, death of three Supreme Court justices in a four-year span. There are very few presidents in history that have appointed three Supreme Court justices. And most of them have done it over the course of eight years, not four It's an unbelievable thing that happened. And then states began filing laws, or passing laws, I guess is the proper term. Legislatures all over the country began passing laws. And they began winding their way up the court system, sometimes through Trump-appointed courts, sometimes not, and finally found their way to the Supreme Court. And then the Supreme Court took arguments last December and said, we will make a ruling, it'll be in June, And even though we had a five-court majority, there was still doubt. We didn't know if Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett or uh, Neil Gorsuch or even Samuel Alito. Um, there was very little doubt about Clarence Thomas. But some of those others, there was doubt that they would side. We thought maybe it would be a 4-4 split with one abstaining or something like that. God in his providence did this. And then, a month and a half ago, the opinion was leaked. And our Supreme Court justices were under threat. Attempts were made. At least Brett Kavanaugh. Who knows what else that we don't know about. And somehow, God in his kindness did an unbelievable thing that we had been praying for as Christians for 49 years. 
49 years. And he did it through an unlikely man. A man 20 years ago you would have never thought would do what he did. And then when he was in there and Mike Pence by his side, President Trump was the only sitting president to ever speak at the National Right to Life Assembly in Washington, D.C. Not Ronald Reagan. Not George H.W. Bush. Not George W. Bush. Never went. Never appeared at the National Right to Life March in Washington, D.C., right out in front of their court, right out in front of their courtyard. President Donald Trump did it. Unexpected. If you would have, I, I listened to uh, podcasts, and I listened to one about uh, Donald Trump um, in the 80s when he uh, bought a, and started the American Football League or something, I forget what the name of the football league was that he had a team in. And I heard recordings of the guy in the 80s on, on these football teams, and he was not a pleasant man. And I would have not thought he would do the things he did, but God in his providence took a man, turned him at some point in his adult life to go from hanging out with this group of crowd to not. And I don't know what caused it. I don't know if President Trump saw something, heard something, felt something, and just went, I'm done with this stuff. But at some point, he just stopped hanging out with those folks. And then God used the man to upend 49 years of bloodshed in our country. God raises up unlikely kings, and he upends the rule of demonic kings. And that's exactly what God did with President Trump. The rule of the demonic abortion laws was upended by an unlikely president. And I thank God for it. I thank God for it. Because God is the one who gets glory. God is the one who gets glory. Um, and this is what we have to remember in our own lives. So, Josiah was a king who did amazing things, amazing reforms. And then this comes at the very end of his life. Well, not... This is Second Kings chapter 23. Before him... Before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. Josiah was unique. Manasseh, his grandfather, unique in being the wickedest king. Josiah, unique in being the most godly of kings. None like him before or after. And then this verse, which should cause us in our rejoicing that God has done an amazing thing to be sober-minded because this is what is written and this is what happened. Still, despite that he is the most godly king, still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, 
in the house of which I said, my name shall be here. We have thrown off Roe v. Wade. The states now have the right to assert the right to life. We must pray for God's mercy. Because even though this has happened, even though the reform came, there's other things that need reformed. And the blood of millions still cries up from the ground. We must plead with God not to destroy us. The blood of millions cries from the ground. We must plead with God and we must work. We must work to repent and to lead the country in repentance. And part of that is the public proclamation of the gospel. Um, So when Josh LaGrange, Pastor LaGrange and I, uh, began talking about the letter that we sent, um, this was the whole goal. Um, That yes, we're calling on the city not to have a pride event. Yes, we're denouncing the sins that are concurrent with it. Yes, we're clearly spelling out the grooming that goes on at it. But we want people to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want repentance to be real and true in our community. And so that is why we wrote a public letter, not a private letter. That is why we proclaim to the city the need for repentance, not to individuals. The whole of the world must repent or be consumed by the wrath of God. And this is what drives us. That even though we might have great moral reform, which praise God for it, Praise God for it. Moral reform is not salvation. Moral reform saves no soul. Moral reform gives an avenue to speak clearly the gospel so that people will turn from their sins and be saved. And so that is much of the work that is left to do. Um, I'm of a generation that is different than the ones who have gone before it. And that we have drunk the blood of the innocents, and we love it. If you want to see what our generation is like, I still have not decided what I want to do about this, but our Facebook page was flooded with hundreds of vile people over the last two weeks. Hundreds and hundreds of them. Actually thousands now that I think about it. 170,000 people saw that letter on our Facebook page. Thousands of them commented. And they are bloodlust. Bloodlust for homosexuality. And then when I posted about the overturning of Roe, they are bloodlust for abortion. There is no amount of arguing with my generation about this. No scientific argument will win the day. I've tried it. I've done it. I've argued with them. I've given them facts. It doesn't matter. You cannot argue with this generation. You will not win. The only way to win is in a spiritual battle of the gospel. To say to them, repent and believe. And they say, I don't believe in your God. And and you just say, I don't care if you believe in him. He is real and he says, repent. 
and they say, well, you're just a sky, you know, sky daddy and there's nothing to say. And we say, God is the maker of heaven and earth and you owe allegiance to him and you must bow your knee. And they scream and scream and you just say, that is the ultimate truth. And no amount of anything else is ever going to change your mind other than you being woken up out of the deadness of your sins. And so, although we argue passionately, convincingly, logically, scientifically against things, the ultimate final thing is only this. God must redeem people. That is our hope. And so as we fight for laws at the State House, as we encourage Shane Lindauer and Mark Mesmer here from our community to go up and make laws starting July 6th to end abortion, we need more than that. We need people redeemed by the gospel, hoping in the Lord Jesus and turning from their sins. And we need to pray a lot that God would have mercy on our nation. And that he would not upend us like he did Jerusalem and Judah for the sins that we have committed. It was 300 or so years before Josiah came to rule when the kingdom of Israel was divided. So David was the king, or sorry, Saul was the king, and then David was the king, and then Solomon was the king. And after Solomon, the kingdom split, became two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, ten tribes in the northern kingdom, two tribes in the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. At that split, this is what happened. 300 years before Josiah, this happened. An unnamed prophet. And behold... A man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam, who was the king of the northern Israel, the split kingdom. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. Three hundred years. Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And you know what Josiah did? Chopped up the priests of his day, dug up the other ones, and burned them all on the altars. He said, I will have none of this pagan idolatry in my land. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king, Jeroboam, heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar of Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. So Jeroboam says, Seize him! And instantly his arm becomes paralyzed. And he's never able to use it again. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. 
And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat the bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. An unnamed prophet to the divided king. Josiah's coming. Josiah is coming. Thousands of years before that, the first gospel was spoken to Eve, or to the serpent, when he said, You shall bruise his heel, he shall crush your head. And then later on, that man is named. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then he came and he crushed the serpent's head. God is not a God like us. He tells the end from the beginning. And all these things that we think of as so surprising are God's inevitable commanding of the world. He does what he pleases in heaven. And we ought to plead with him that he would be pleased to redeem millions and billions across this world. Not just to stop bloodshed, but so that souls that we know and love will forever proclaim his glory in the eternities to come. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our goal. We rejoice in Roe being overturned, but we press on for the ultimate good of the salvation of mankind. And it's that that we long for. Amen? Let's stand this morning. I'll pray, and then we will sing our closing hymn together, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.